0: Violent and cruel. There's this God who made everything in this very personal way. I don't know if you ever work with clay or work with any kind of. Uh, let's just say work with clay. It's. It's. There's something about clay that's uh, amazingly personal and intimate. It also gets under your fingernails and all that. But it's a picture of how God made us in His image and then breathed into us, and we have this dignity and worth. No matter what our handicaps might be, no matter what our ethnic background is, no matter what our struggles are, no matter what our age is. Which is That's a radical idea in the, in the, in anywhere in the world. It's been a radical idea. Now, in America we take that for granted because it's part of the, the, kind of the foundation of our country, that people are created equal, but that is a radical idea throughout world history. If you know anything, if you've ever taken a philosophy class in college, they'll tell you there have been places where people tried to believe that very few places ever even tried to create a civilization on it we we wrote it in the law we wrote it in the law because we got that from the bible that god made god made people in his image and they all have dignity and respect period they should have equal treatment under the law that's how that was derived from this idea you know you go to other places where there, there's caste systems, and, and you know, it, it's, it, their, their, their theology issues in their philosophy and in their culture, and you can see, it's not the same, but a lot of Western civilizations have been shaped by this idea. And other countries now, you know have em, embraced that. But that came from this picture uh, that we get from Scripture, so anyway, I'm losing my way here. If we're meant to be the building zones of, of something new, a new house. It's not just the church. This is something that's happened to the church, is that a lot of times churches say, we want to have a great church. God's goal has never been to have a great church. It's always been to have a great city. It's always been to have a great community, you know, a great world that we live in. And the church is part of that, but it's not just, it's not either or, it's both. It's this and this. And what he says is, and and this is like a message all through the New Testament, Jesus was rejected by his contemporaries. He was God in the flesh, but he was rejected by his contemporaries. The builders rejected him as the cornerstone of the building. God turned around and raised him from the dead and vindicated him, and then he's building this new creation on the rejected cornerstone. Then he goes through the quarry, and he finds all the stones that other people reject or sometimes reject themselves. And he chooses them. Remember how we read this, that, 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 that this book opened with God's chosen you? This theme goes all the way through this book. God wants you. God picked you. Remember we talked about the, 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 the cruel uh, you know, two-team choosing off for sports? <laughs> uh, and to be that last person was like not good not in my neighborhood and cuz the, the two captains would go i don't want him i don't want him you you got to take him it's your turn you know and the, the person staying there is feeling wonderful at that moment right well god picks the last person and says you're my cho- choice and i'm going to make you a living stone in which my presence inhabits a, 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 that, that brings a new creation that the the way things are going gets turned around because of you and others like you. So I want you to see this. This sounds crazy. And it's crazy because most of us just think about ourselves in our little, you know, corner of the woods. We just go, I just got to get mine and just survive. And God has so much bigger plans for us than that kind of thinking. So Back in Genesis, I'm just going to read you a couple. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories because if, if I read them, it'll, it'll take us way past the time I have to explain this to you. But in the book of Genesis, there was a man named Abram, and he became Abraham, and he was considered the father of the Jewish people. And God came to Abram and said to him, uh, well, I'm going to read this little part. Uh, it's in Genesis 12. And this is, this person, the way that God spoke to him became the pattern for what he wants for everybody. So he comes to Abram and he says, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. So in other words, become a nomad. In other words, all the things that cause you to thrive in life, having family and tribe and people and land and owning things, all the things that can protect you and provide for you and make you significant, I want you to leave them. And leave him as an old man. Because as you get older, you need your community. You need people to take care of you. Back, you know, this was, this was 2,400 years ago. And that day and age, if you didn't have your family, you were stuck. And God said to him, I want you to leave. And, it, and he gave him this promise. God was making a covenant with him. God was picking Abraham, who was an old man without any kids, which was kind of, that was a disgrace. If you didn't have kids, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your wife? you must be cursed by God. That's here it is. Here's this broken flawed stone and here's what God says to him. I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So this is the thing that starts emerging. God says to this broken man, I'm going to take your brokenness. I'm going to make something amazing out of it. And but it's not just going to be amazing for you. Through you I'm going to I'm going to make you a blessing to other people. Can you imagine that, Abraham? How could you be a blessing to anybody else? I'm going to make you a blessing. This is the thing. The cornerstone is what the house is built on, is, what, is where the blessing comes from. He says, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. I'm going to protect you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you read the book of Genesis, as Abraham's family, as he had children, and they had children, and those children grew you start finding this blessing being lived out. And the, most of the last part of the book of Genesis is about this man named Joseph. How many of you guys have heard of Joseph? Okay, good, Joseph. Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers. He was his father's favorite, and because he was his father's favorite, he got bullied by his, all his older brothers. And, you know, Joseph in the multicolored robe, That was his father giving him something and, you know, like saying, you're my favorite son. Which is like saying, uh, I'm going to put that thing on you and your brother's going to beat the tar out of you every day. But I'm such a knucklehead, I don't realize family dynamics and what it's like. Even though he and his brother were in this kind of thing, he was the uh, unloved son. And he just passed that on to his kids and it just was bad. So the brothers took Joseph and they threw him in a pit. And they were going to kill him. And instead of killing him, one of their brothers said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery and at least make some money off it. We don't get any money if we, if we kill him. We, we want to get rid of him. Let's, let's, let's make his life really worse. Then he'll just be a slave somewhere instead of free with us. Well, his brother, I mean their brother Joseph, gets sold into, into slavery in Egypt. And there's a story, I want to read the just one little part of it. And it's a picture of this promise from God being, being fulfilled through Joseph. Joseph is a slave. No rights, no power, no, no anything. He's a Hebrew slave, so he's a minority. So it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from, bought him from the Israelites, the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, and his attendant meant his household manager. So it says, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household Of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Not what Joseph had, what Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he, Potiphar, left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's just the first one. If you keep going and you read the the narrative of Joseph's life, he eventually. Saves Egypt. The whole nation of Egypt are saved, and his family that turned on him and sold him into slavery, they turned around and had to come to him to survive because of a famine. But Joseph said, You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. And so, what Joseph was able to do because he built his life on this cornerstone of the God of Israel, because he built his life on that cornerstone, he became a blessing where he lived, worked, played, and learned. And the people around him were blessed through him. And this story goes on and on and on. I want to tell you one more uh, because this is such an unusual story. It's I don't know. I don't even know how to categorize it. But there was a prophet named Elisha, and as a prophet, he represented God and he spoke and he, you know, taught and. Uh, you know, spoke truth to power, he healed people, he just did all kinds of wild things. And it's a certain point in the story of Israel, uh, there's a lot more to this than I want to get into. Israel is at war with another nation, and the nation knew that Elisha played a pivotal role in Israel continuing to be able to defeat their nation. It was called Aram. And so the king of Aram said, Let's send an army to go and get the prophet. Because it seems like he's the linchpin of this whole thing. So let's just capture the prophet and kill him. And then we'll be able to defeat Israel. So there's, there's a, a, a really amazing kind of a story that happens. And when the, the king, I'm, I'm going to start reading in verse 2 Kings six eighteen. It says, uh, when the enemy came towards him, Elisha, the enemy of the army came towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So God struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, he went up to the enemy and he said, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria, which was at that point was where uh, Israel's uh, capital was. And they entered the city, and Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. They were in the fortified city of their enemy, and they were surrounded, right? And so when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Right there here. This is what we do. You kill your enemy. Isn't that what you do? I mean, isn't that how you win a war? You don't give your life up for your country. You make your enemy give up his life for his country, right? That's how you win a war. You kill people and you blow things up. This king knew that's how you win wars. Now, here's what Elisha said. Don't kill them. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? I want you you to see something. This is a pivotal text in the Old Testament in terms of people finally seeing, starting to see Because a prophet spoke for God. He was trying to challenge the mentality of a government. This is what we can do. He says, why would you kill those people? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So the king prepared a great feast for them. A banquet. Not bread and water. A feast for his enemies. After they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Violence isn't always the answer. There is a blessing that we carry that's meant to bless all the people around us, even our enemies. But we have to build our life on this cornerstone. Or we're going to think like everybody else, and we're going to act like everybody else, and we're going to per- perpetuate injustice and isms and all kinds of things that that are why the world's the way it is. And so this cornerstone is is rejected, but we have to come to that cornerstone, and we have to build our lives on that cornerstone. Uh, so our destiny is to become the building blocks of a great place to live, work, learn, and play. And so we in ourselves are not capable, we're not better than other people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not smarter than other people. You're not more noble than other people or more virtuous. What you derive in your brokenness, the, the, the blessing that you're meant to bring is because of the cornerstone upon which you build your life. The life comes from it. The thing is, he's rejected. Jesus is generally rejected, except people. if people take bits and pieces of Jesus and sort of cobble together a cafeteria Jesus where I like a little of what Jesus says here a little what he says here a little what he says here a little what he says here like the mistake we make when we do that is we think Jesus is giving us like a philosophy of life and like other people have given philosophies of life and we as good Americans and great empires have always done this is we take a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit of and a bit of this, and we improve what the original thing was. Jesus was rejected because they didn't reject his philosophy. See, you don't kill someone who says, be kind to your enemy. That was, that, people think that Jesus' philosophy was what got him killed. People love Jesus' teachings. If you think about it, a, a lot of stuff that you hear, if you, if you pick up the New York Times and you read it, it's expensive to read, it, you know, online. But you will read the teachings of Jesus in there without him being quoted. The things, most of the editorial things in the New York Times take some of the teachings of Jesus, and they won't quote Jesus or cite him. But they will advance ideas that he advanced. But Jesus, you can't piecemeal Jesus. You can't build a building on just a little bit of the cornerstone. You build it on the whole cornerstone. And part of what Jesus does is, if you embrace him... He is going to bust you in some area of your life. And when we pick and choose Jesus and, and the part of Jesus we like, we become the final say. We, we become our own authority then. There's no humility in that, and that's why it doesn't work. So Jesus comes along and, and he invites us. He invited these guys. Remember who the, the people, who the, the readers of 1 Peter were? They were resident aliens. They were immigrants in what's modern Turkey. They were outsiders. They were people without power, people without prestige, people without, most of the time, legal protection. And they struggled. They, wherever they lived, the world wasn't working very well where they lived, and so they migrated to this area in Turkey. And then they came to faith in Jesus, which made them <laughs> even a more outcast group of outcasts. And yet... Peter is saying to them, don't look at the way people treat you or even the way you find yourself. Let yourself be redefined by the value God puts on you because he gave his son for you and the life that he gives you through his son. You may reject yourself. You may have other people reject you for all kinds of reasons. I'm still pretty thin and my friends hate it that I can eat as much as I want. And not lose weight, but I think I have like a whole family of tapeworms in, in my stomach. That's what my mom used to say. That's why, you know, you have, you put food in there and uh, it's just magic. But I used to be really skinny. And, Don, you're, you're skinny now. I used to be really skinny. And my nickname in high school was Mahatma Gandhi. My friends call me Mahatma. I, st- I will see people in Texas on Facebook once in a while and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll IM me. How's it going, Mahatma? And I don't know if you guys, some of you guys don't know who Mahatma Gandhi was. Gandhi, okay. But Gandhi fasted a lot. And he used to wear these loose clothes and they would just hang off of him because he was just super emaciated and thin. And so I was like that. I would try to lift weights. I could not gain weight. I couldn't gain muscle. It was really sad. And I always felt like an outsider. And Jesus is always looking for outsiders. He, he's looking for insiders, too. But the, what, what Peter's telling them is the, 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 the solutions for what ails whatever place you're in are found in these rejected people and the blessing that they bring. And there's story after, if you go back and read many Old Testament stories through this narrative I'm giving you right now, you will see that God was placing these people, oftentimes in very difficult situations, but he was putting his blessing on them as his people, and then he was blessing all the people around him through them. And it wasn't always welcomed. It wasn't always appreciated. They weren't always honored. But think of the story of Esther. Think of the story of Daniel. Think of all these stories, all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and what you get is your destiny is to be the building blocks of a great place for people to live, work, learn and play. If you build your life on Jesus the cornerstone, God's favor rests on you and it will come through you. And you may not always be appreciated for it, but just like Joseph, Potiphar, who was a shrewd person, you don't become the king, the king's the captain of the king's guard and not be sharp. He saw something about Joseph and kept promoting Joseph until he could, and and this is what happens to us, we can get used, but he saw there's something on this guy, there's something about this guy. He was a slave. He was a Hebrew slave. We have been given a destiny. And so I want to just stop for a second and just give you a little space to think about this, and then we're going to close with some prayer. What I want you to do for a minute is think about where you live, where you work, and if you go to school, like, where you learn, and where you play like gyms and, you know, recreational places. And I want you to think about like what the struggles are like there. You know, what what doesn't work where you work and where you live? You know, like people that don't get along and all that. And I want you to just ask God, God, because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. What do you want that place to look like? What is it supposed, how is it supposed to work? And think about that. And just let God touch your imagination, and, and see if you can see it in your mind's eye working differently than it does now. And I believe he's going to show you things about what he has his heart for for those places for you. So just do that for a second. So, you know, as, uh, some of you, your imagination is real uh, fertile, and it's easy for you to think that way. Others of you, yeah, it isn't quite as easy to get in touch with that. But if you, in the next week or so, if you just take time to sit with that God will start showing you things even if you don't feel like right now you're getting uh, a lot of bang for your buck as you try that. I want to close and just take you back to this passage in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And he's saying priests in almost any culture were really honored and respected. And things that are rejected are not respected. But what he's saying is, if you come to Jesus who is rejected, as you come to him, that's the money line here. As you come to Jesus, the cornerstone, God will pick you up, even though you are a resident alien, relatively unrespected, disrespected sometimes. He will pick you up and he will shape you into something, put you into this Building that he's building, and his presence will come into it. And that's the thing. Remember how we talked about from the Old Testament to the New: heaven and earth are supposed to be together. We're supposed to flourish because God's presence is with us everywhere. When we saw the you know the the story of the fall, the presence of God found in Eden in the garden became blocked off from the people, and then this whole process started where God was beginning to visit people again. And, but his goal was to be with people. That people will experience what it's like for him to be present among us and, f- and and the flourishing that came with his presence. And so people like Joseph, who carried his presence, the people around him experienced the blessings that came from that. That things worked the way they were supposed to where God was present. And so the spiritual house is not buildings. It's communities. It's all the ways... That we organize ourselves to live. Where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play, those are the big spheres of human community, and God wants to be in them. Now, not everybody wants Him there. Some people want a naked public square where God's excluded, but we bring Him in there. We don't have to do it the way that that most people have done it, that has turned people off. We're called to be servants. Over and over and over, the Bible says Jesus was the servant. And for his followers, we become servants. We, we, we carry a different profile than other people. Joseph was a servant. Even though he became the man just below the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, Joseph rose to that point of influence because he had been a servant his whole life. If you're a servant, God can trust you with influence. If you want to rule, he won't give you influence or you'll just squander it. And, and you'll hurt people. And so, as you come to Him, and that's the thing we want to focus on. If you're a follower of Jesus, He wants you to know you have a destiny to make a difference where you live, work, learn, and play. But a lot of believers don't really realize that's their destiny, and so they don't embrace it. And they don't live purposefully and consciously. They just embrace the values of the workplace. The dog-eat-dog Every man for himself, every woman for themselves, he who ends with the most toys wins kind of mentality. And that isn't what fulfills people. It really isn't. Someone just told me when I was down in Nashville this week, they had been over in Africa on a a business trip. And there were some Christians and the people uh, that they visited had, they lived in the most simple, bare, minimum, bare bones uh, kind of lifestyle as you can imagine, because it was just a poor community that they were in. And they said, these people had so much joy. They were embarrassed at how little they had compared to them. And they, they came back, and they said, you know, we were really, and these people, these friends of mine, uh, he was, a, you know, one of the high-up executives in Nationwide, and he's, and, you know, he's retired, and he has a pretty comfortable life. And he was just saying, man, I thought I'm pretty comfortable and happy. And, he said, and, and, and I, honestly, it's because I have a lot of nice things. That's what I think. That that's what makes me happy. And I saw these people who had nothing like what I have, and they were so much happier than me. He said it really made me come home and think, again, as a, a follower of Jesus, what's important. And so God will push us back to this place where he says, I want you to build your life on this cornerstone that other people reject. But it's the cornerstone. If you build your life on that, you will flourish. You will flourish, and and just as importantly, the people around you will flourish. And you, like it says here, uh, you're called to to put on display the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. That's part of what we're called to do as we live for the well-being of other people. But we have to embrace that as a people. We have to be reminded of this over and over and over. when you swim out into this ocean of, of competition and dog-eat-dog mentality and, you know, superficiality, it will permeate your life. It will try to work its way into your heart. That's is why Christians get together. This is why Jews did it. This is why Christians do it. We get together to worship God, to reorient our lives every week with other like-minded people to say, there is a God. <laughs> he loves us. We have value and purpose and dignity and and, uh, significance and on and on and on. And we get it from Him. We don't get it from the system. And the system isn't all bad, but it isn't God. And so we come together to reorient our lives around Him and praise Him and thank Him first and then try to live under His Word in a meaningful way with other like-minded people so that we can go out and we can really make a difference in the world we live in and live differently than other people. It's hard to do that, isn't it? Is it just me that finds it hard? Am I the pastor then? Someone who does it better than me should be up here. No, it's hard, isn't it? So I want to ask you, as, as we close, and, you would you come up, you guys? We want to pray for you if you feel like, if this resonates with you, and I, I think it resonates with everybody, but I think... There's a, a, a number of us here. One, one of the things God wants you to know is this is not about your willpower. He has a blessing that comes on you from Jesus that, that makes this happen. So what I want to ask you to do, if, if you want to, in a fresh way, just say, I want to embrace that destiny again. I kind of lost sight of it. I want to, I want to live with that kind of destiny in mind as I work and live and learn and play, as you do your thing. We want to pray for you that you would experience his presence in your life and you could carry it in a fresh way everywhere you go. And that the ordinary things that you do, where you work, what you call ordinary, would be blessed by God and they would add value, unusual value, to the enterprise which employs you. And it would add value to clients and customers and co-workers and the owners. And that the world would begin to see it's not this zero-sum game where we're all competing. We're two dogs and one bone. But there's a God who can break into this and bring resources into our situation that nobody can see. Or where did these come from? How did you get this idea? How come we figured that out? Where did this design come from? It came from God. Jesus is smart. He's really smart. So if, if that's you... And this entices you in a good way. I want to ask you before you leave, we're going to, the worship team is going to sing, pour it out again. And I want you to all stand. And as we sing, uh, like our prayer team people, if you guys could just come up front, we're just going to pray for whoever comes up, for God to empower you and quicken you to experience this destiny that you saw in the life of Joseph and Elisha the prophet, and I mentioned Esther, and all these different people. Very ordinary people. And God's, God's putting his hand on us for a purpose. I just want to invite you into it. We're just going to pray briefly. We're not going to pray a long time for each of you, because if too many people come up, we don't have time for that. So, so let's pray, and then the worship team will start. Father, thank you for your word. I uh, thank you that Jesus was and is the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the beginning and the end, and there's no one better than him. We thank you that uh, you take stones that are rejected. You make them into something significant. And we want you to do that with our lives. And uh, whatever small way, Lord, or large way that you want us to contribute to the well-being of the community around us, we want to do that. But we know we do that by coming to you. So, like your word says here, we want to come to you as we close and ask for your spirit to come and touch us and to put your blessing on our lives by your presence that we could begin to live out this destiny that you've called us to. And all the, the... the innumerable ways that uh, uh, the lives of the people that are here. Jesus